1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As always, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all the show notes are at theentrepreneurethos.com, so check that out. As always, thanks for listening, thanks for the ratings and reviews, thanks, thanks, thanks for being part of the show. Now, on to my guest for today, Mark Kersner, who is co-founder of SCAIA AI and Elephant Scale, which offers training in using artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so much more. Mark immigrated to Texas from Russia after earning a degree in computer science in the late 1970s and started working in computer applications with oil companies. He soon became an independent consultant, specializing in AI and machine learning because he knew he needed to have a specialty and he knew he had a special skill to offer. He also started offering training and co-authored a book on Hadappo. Mark offers insights into the evolution of AI and machine learning and explains why Facebook's facial recognition program was a turning point leading to a huge leap in how we search and interact online and the implications for the future. Mark is now applying similar principles to helping lawyers more quickly find what they need for discovery, while he also continues to write and teach. Now, let's get better together. Mark Kirsner, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, thank you for being here. You work for a company or founder, CEO of Skya, which is an artificial intelligence company, which uh, there's a lot of companies that have AI in the name or AI in their buzzword bingo list of things they do. Um, And I'm really, really excited to uh, talk with you about this because not only do you provide tools and services, but you also advise people on how to implement AI, which I think is a really, really critical thing nowadays since there seems to be a lot out there and it's a lot of confusion. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll dig into that in a second, but uh, before we get started on that, I would love to hear how you got to do what you're doing today.
2: Okay, Jerry, I'll be glad to talk about this. I am not born in America. You probably can detect a little bit of Russian accent here. And so uh, when I was preparing to go to America, I was growing up thinking that that's my life. That's what I will do. I'll go to America. And I was uh, trying to get facts about what is it like. Now, imagine in my situation, it wasn't easy to get facts because it was still communism. So it was mostly misinformation facts. I heard, for example, that in Texas, uh, everything is so big that you you buy 12 lemons, you get nine of them just because they're so big. And I also heard that uh, they test you. Are you independent enough? When you're coming into the States, let's say, I know it's very stupid, but let's say you're driving uh, in a car and uh, keep in mind in Russia, I never drove in the car. So I don't know what's going on to happen, but somebody is going in the wrong way. What should you do? So supposedly the answer is, Full speed ahead, just going. <laughs> That's definitely Yahoo American, for sure. <laughs> it, it is maybe somebody. But in any case, uh, I figured out that what I want to be is independent. I heard about such thing as being independent. When I came to the States, I got my first job. Interestingly enough, it was, uh, I made the job on AI. It was a computer programming job in oil exploration. But that is when the first AI wave hit. And so I wrote a paper about what I was doing, but I called it an AI approach. And funny enough, it was the AI approach. It was the dynamic optimization, dynamic programming optimization, which really is the technology that is used today. So I was kind of building my career on that, but what I wanted to do is independent. And I heard that there is such a thing as... uh, a uh, contractor who is judged on his merits, not on his—I uh, uh, don't know—work security, job security, his and political so, and,
1: political acumen. I think is the way we. Yes, <laughs> I really
2: wanted, and people would tell me, "Well, why do I need you as a contractor? Who are you? What can you do? What special things can you do that I would consider you?" It took a few years before I had this special thing. It was a combination of that particular language C, C++, especially C++ was coming up. And in addition, um, AI work really uh, back then was also something people were looking for. So I became contractor, never looked back. I knew that for the whole of my career, I could come to work and I could be told, Mark, thank you very much, that's your last day today. And you never know. You never know what day will be your last day. Usually people are nice. They will give you two weeks, but never more than that. So I got used to that. My family knew that we don't have any job stability, zero. Uh, But I loved it because now you have to be on your tiptoes all the time, nonstop, right? And I like challenge. I happen to work best under pressure. I like to say this. I maybe won't uh, invite pressure on myself anymore, but at least if it's there, I don't mind. Is that what you were looking for? Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, wow. I, uh, man, from communist Russia to the uh, yes. <laughs> wild west of, I think you're in Austin, Texas. Or I'm in Houston,
2: Texas, so it is wild west. <laughs> but, so. but it's not really quite wild west. There is a place in Texas where people go to meet real cowboys. Yeah, so it's not exactly. Houston is too much of a city. It's too much of a Chicago style, yeah. after all. So yeah, if you yeah. want to say real cowboy, you need to Google for that that little city like Lubbock, maybe. Lubbock Lubbock and I've been Lubbock. there, and they saw me as a total stranger. <laughs> I once was invited to a party. Whatever I say would be wrong, and especially <laughs> the way I say it. They looked at me with big suspicions. suspicious suspicion. Yeah. Who is this guy and what's wrong with him? (laughs)
1: Well, it's interesting because I know Houston is a huge oil and gas exploration hub. It
2: is, but also a very international one. Yeah. Yeah. I think ExxonMobil, aren't they? Yes. ExxonMobil. So absolutely every oil company is here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that AI was, or your experience with AI started with exploration of oil Um,
2: it it really did yes and there were people who were selling those ai computers that were doing lisp lisp and all (laughs) companies are the ones who had the money to buy that yeah well it's a big big deal
1: right i mean like you, you find an oil field like That's a lot of money
2: that they're... Maybe I can tell you a story about what happened. So I was in the meeting with all those great new names, people who are representing AI. Their AI was what today is considered the old way of AI, and that was rule-based AI. Mm,
1: Rule-based, okay.
2: And I was always thinking about image processing and dynamic programming, which turned out to be exactly the approach. But back then... uh, It wasn't. So when I told them, guys, you know, I know the answers to how to do this or that, they looked down like, who is this talking? (laughs) And, And they were the winners. Definitely, yes, at this time they were.
1: Wow. Wow. So when I back, my first job out of college was at a company that did neural network processors. Wow. And they were massively parallel processors that did neural network algorithms to do what I think a lot of AI machine learning stuff do these. Uh, I, they were called eigen eigenvectors. Yes, eigenvectors. And we used to do these things called hidden Markov models. And um, yes, and and we well hidden hidden Markov model was for speech recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I always found it interesting. That was back in
2: 1994. Yes, <laughs> so, that's cool because. Very few people would do it. It would be much more for research.
1: Yeah. This
2: yeah. Time. Yeah. Our
1: first, the first commercial application, there were two major applications for this sort of neural network processor. One was image compression, mm-hmm. um, which is a massively parallel processor. All the NVIDIA stuff, uh, as you can imagine, like if you can imagine the NVIDIA today, that was what we were doing 25 years ago. It wasn't as good, <laughs> but... It was pretty cool. It was this. It was so fascinating.
2: The other thing, programming, the coding is interesting, but the theory is nothing very special.
1: Right. Right. I mean, it's it's just the the funny thing was like, how could you get all this processing power to make it happen fast? That was yes. How
2: do it, make it fast? I'm familiar with this kind of a problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one was
2: uh, face recognition. (laughs) No, uh, <laughs> right. Which was that which was in 2015 in Rio.
1: Yeah, right. But back then, the main customer for that was the Japanese government mm. because of the sarin gas attack that happened in their subway. I think in 94 mm. or something, 95, and or no, maybe it was 94. But I just remember thinking, like, we're doing this stuff. Like, we're at the. We're literally at the. It was a company out of Oregon, and the, the guy who was the main guy was some luminary in neural networks or whatever. And I just remember sitting there telling, trying to tell people what I did for a living, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, "What the heck is that?" Because I mean, nobody was or, was doing that. I mean, this was again the precursor. This
2: time. Yes. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> twenty was... years
2: before it really happened. That's when you were. Yeah,
1: yeah. 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 So, so it's fascinating mm-hmm. that that. All that stuff that happened like 20, 25 years ago is now like blowing up. What I mean, what I mean by blowing up is everyone again has got AI in their name. And so, what do you think had to happen? Excuse me, had to happen between when you started and when I started, um, and the progression of how it got to, I wouldn't say ubiquitous, but what is super interesting is that. This was a very new thing, new market, new applications. I mean, y- y- as entrepreneurs, we need to be able to time things right.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and so I'm curious what in your mind was like the tipping point that said, okay, this, this stuff is really real, given that you, I mean, you know, you were there at the beginning.
2: That's a very good question. Now, if you got maybe two, three minutes, because the yeah, answer absolutely asks for a story. So the story was that, uh, first of all, I got very interested in legal. And that's what I will come back later on, as that's what brought me to what I'm doing now. But legal requires lots of processing. And that means we need to process sometimes millions of documents within a certain short time frame. So when Hadoop came out, I thought, that's it. That's exactly the solution. You need to parallelize things. And so I started doing something there. Then I realized that, well, okay, I know a little bit about uh, e-discovery, but not enough about Hadoop. I just use it. So is there a good way to to upskill? And there was none. There were few books back then. So I convinced a publishing house that I can write a book. Well, I was writing a book about Hadoop, and uh, it wasn't going well because I was busy as I'm always uh, busy and it wasn't going fast meanwhile most of the companies thought that it was going so i got an invitation from facebook from yahoo from google from everywhere for an interview because look you guy uh, you are writing a book about hadoop that that's what it is right okay and i started the training company i do two things i train in ai and i also and we do AI products. But it all started with this company that uh, that was to teach Hadoop. Well, once, and that's the crux of the story, I'm coming to this. Once I was teaching Hadoop, and actually by then already Spark. And I was teaching it in Israel because Cisco, they have bought a company in Israel. So they have a presence in Israel. And when the Israeli company needs a trainer, they funny enough, they get it from America. So I was teaching this, and it wasn't going all that well. It wasn't perfect. Uh, There was a chapter on machine learning there, uh, and and so I turned it around. I said, you know, it's not that something was bad. It It was great. It just wasn't enough. That's how I marketed this sort of failure. Now I can tell you about this. And so they said, so what, what do you do? I said, well, we need a complete course. That's when machine learning was becoming popular. It was about uh, eight, maybe five years ago. Uh, that was accepted. I sold it. I, I said, it's not a failure, it's a market demanding more and it's demanding more in machine learning. So I wrote my first machine learning course. And then I asked myself this question, why did it work out? Why was it so popular? Well, that is because in about 2015, uh, Facebook face recognition came. Mm -hmm. And similar things were becoming successful. Google is doing its translation. This is where you see a real turning point. IBM thought they did the translation. They were way wrong. Nothing really worked. If you remember, Dragon typing, you take, yeah. say things. It was terrible. Yeah. It was just incredibly bad. And uh, uh, suddenly you have a bunch of results that are by now good. Well, why did that happen? The result for Facebook, what what worked for Facebook in 2015, was invented 20 years ago. Uh, Lacoon, I think, Jan Lacoon, he invented this particular kind of tool that's a convolutional neural network. He invented this in 1999, so it's a uh, 1999. Well, one year before 2000. We don't care about those years now. <laughs> it's Ignore. the prehistory, right? The How prehistory. I you it. <laughs> right. But it took 15 years for the hardware to progress. And mm. then the old technologies, neural networks, suddenly started shining and working, and Facebook got their first face recognition, which by now everybody takes as a given. Of course, of course, you recognize faces, that wasn't the story. That was back then. <coughs> Same extremely thing hard. All of those. And so suddenly you had an interest that you couldn't yet explain. But in training, you see this. You see more and more requests for AI training. Mm. That was step number one. If your question, how did it happen that AI became very popular? It's because it got real results for the first time. In all mm-hmm. of this progression, there were about three waves up and down for AI. Hmm. Interesting. So
1: you would say that there, the the twenty fifteen wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first the, like that twenty fifteen wave of Facebook can now do face recognition at scale
2: and Google yes. doing mm-hmm. translation Absolutely. at scale. Yes. That's when it worked. Now, if you can then ask my uh, me another question. So, okay, that's when it worked. What's going on now? If it's okay for you to ask me this question, then I will tell you that, uh, first of all, every company, every, let's say, shoe polish company is AI company now. They yeah. collect all the data, right? They use the cookies, and they do a special shoe polish in such a way that only AI can allow you to do. Okay. So that is a must. Now, you have to put this AI uh, but it's going a little bit beyond that because nobody believes it anymore, right? By now, uh, people are bombarded by this AI, AI inside, and they stop believing it. Instead, instead, it should start working. And the technologies are here. One of the greatest technologies on here, I need to use this technology term called BERT. BERT stands for not a toy, not a doll, but bidirectional encoders. That's what BERT is. But really, it's the technology that Google implemented in their search, and it gets much more precise. The Mm. classical example is if you are looking for, can I park my car up the street next to the curb? Then the result will, used to be that uh, car and curb and park, not up, because that's really the meaning, uh, but Google would miss this. Or can I pick up a... Prescription from the pharmacy for my friend. So, the most important thing, not for me, but for somebody else, is that even allowed? Keywords don't give that to you. Bird does. We're not talking about how it does it yet, but that's a group of technologies that is about two years old, and that's what allows you to do a real AI. So, today, what we see is the real AI coming to be, but you need to be quite brilliant to implement something that's practical. I'll talk about this later on, but that's where we are. It's not hype anymore and it's not over promise anymore, but it's let's deliver something that will really work. And, and this BERT thing is and,
1: bi-directional what?
2: Well, I'll tell you what it is because that meaning is really meaningless. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> they wanted an abbreviation. The previous work, it was called Ernie. Ernie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bert and Ernie, I get it. So the next work, and Ernie came from Baidu. And Uh so the next work had to be called something in this vein. Yes, of course. It was. (laughs) That stands for... Bidirectional Encoder Representations from Transformers. (laughs) I promised it won't make any sense. (laughs) Interesting,
1: okay. okay. Really, I'll
2: tell you what that means. So right. let's start from the end. Transformers, what does the word transformers mean? That is a new kind of neural network. Mm. I'm sure that people either know neural network or they can Google neural network. But right. Google neural, but well, neural network imitates a human brain in some form. Think of it this way. It's, it's a lot of neurons. Right. All right, but it doesn't work for regular uh practical, real-world use cases because too many neurons and too many connections. So it's a good tool to play with. You can actually find PlaygroundGoogle.com. You'll see it there, but it's not working. So comes Jan LeCun and invents a special kind of neural network for image processing called CNN, Convolutional Neural Network,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but nothing for text. And text has a different problem. Image is static. You look at it. It's here. Text. Well, I'll give an example. My mother said that she likes the queen because she understands women. Mm. A good example, but who is she that understands women? Mm. So you need to really understand that to figure out that it's the queen who understands women, Mm. not your mother who understands women. Or maybe she does, but that's not the point. Right. Well, this makes it harder. Bird is the model that is able to remember what you said five minutes ago and analyze the complete text together. Now it begins to make sense. Yeah,
1: interesting. And so there
2: are three kinds of neural networks. One of them is for images, another one is for predictions. None of them were perfect for text. So finally, they invented the fourth one, transformers. Therefore, transformers is the fourth type of neural network bidirectional, the B of birth, says that we're analyzing text right to left and left to right. When we're looking at what we're saying, it's important to know what we're saying now, to think of what we will say in the future. But it is also important to remember what we said before. Mm.
1: So it's definitely order-dependent back and forth and history is
2: back and forth you're a bi-directional it's going from the beginning to the end and then to the beginning like when we talk we're trying to remember what we just said we're also thinking about what we will say Mm. in this technology you get practical applications you're typing something in google mail yeah and i'm sure everybody familiar it's trying to give you some suggestions yeah 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 all the time (laughs) thinking It's thinking forward, but at the same time, it's looking backwards at what you just said.
1: Ah, interesting. interesting. That's BERT. Yeah, okay.
2: Okay. Now, now if you then go to Glue Benchmark. (laughs) Glue Benchmark. I'll give you that link later. Okay. And you will see uh, all of the last years of development with BERT, and you will see that now the models will have the word BERT in them. So, for Mm. example, Facebook came with Roberta. And somebody else came up with Albert. <laughs> There's
1: some good marketing people. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then Microsoft just came up with Deberter.
1: Love it.
2: Love and then Ernie it. got on top, and Ernie is the latest, greatest result. The accuracy is 90.9%. Wow. Wow. So wow. Latest. That's an interesting link because you can, that's where the greatest uh, teams hang out. And that's where they publish results. The last year, every new result is 0.1% better than the previous one. The progress has slowed down at 90.9. Wow. If you go all the way to the bottom of that picture, you'll see 52%. That's where it all started. Wow. And we'll put links to all
1: this so you guys can take a look yes. at it. And, 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 oh. and the reason why, obviously, this is so important, right? This is very relevant to a lot of startups nowadays that are trying to figure out how to use artificial intelligence, machine learning, this new wave of, um, of technology, because there's huge advantages to it. And you guys, what you guys are doing in this thing called e-discovery, which, um, I'd love for you to just explain a little bit what that is. Um, that's very text intensive. So my guess is you're, your BERT or whatever name you call it, algorithm um, is the one that you have to implement. So could you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing, what e-discovery is, and sort of the challenges with that so that if someone is looking to do text-based AI, they they have some like questions they can ask. And because again, there's a lot of it's the Wild West.
2: <laughs> I agree. It is, it is the golden mine today.
1: Yeah, it's the gold mine today. Correct. And so... I'll
2: tell you a bit more about BERT. What's special about BERT are the two themes. Theme number one is that you can use it. I'm not mm. joking. You can, in your code, which is usually Python, the first thing you do is you download the Google results. You don't start from scratch ever. You're using pre-trained model. Mm. That saves you... because that's what it would take to run that training on Google CPU great AI computer. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. And now you're finishing, you're closing the loop by uh, by adding your specific questions, the ones that you build on BERT. So the two things about BERT is that it's Usable. You can download that result and you start from there. And number two, it's, uh, I'm looking at the latest ones. It gives you tremendous precision today. So you can look at the examples, you can run those tutorials out of the box and it will work. Uh, Look at the summarizer based on Bert. Hmm. It gives wonderful summaries of the text as if it understands it completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is this what GPT-3 is based on? Yes. Oh, okay. Because I, I played a little bit of, with that over it. I think it's OpenAI.
2: Um, yeah. And I are, found it's in, but they're all in the same idea. Okay. So that's number one, it's usable. Number two is that it doesn't require your data anymore. And here's what I mean: let us say I'm trying to do cat versus dog recognizer. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to say this is a cat and this is a dog. If I don't say that, it won't ever know, right? Mm-hmm. But for texts, there are so many texts out on the web on, in the world that I can say, look, how about if you read all of the texts and make sense of them? I don't have to talk about every cat and dog out there because there are lots of them and labeled. That's what BERT does. It is using what's called supervised learning. Uh, so, so, sorry, self-supervised learning. If, if you took any first course in machine learning, you know there is such a thing as supervised learning where you give it the answers and unsupervised learning where you're saying, I don't have any answers. You figure it out for the structure. Now, the supervised learning is where you get the best results because you told them. Let's say you predict the prices on houses. So, you tell them the prices from the less sales. Yeah. Unsupervised, you can only group them together. Cheap houses, expensive houses. That's all you can do. What's missing is a broad kind of approach called self-supervised learning. And perhaps that term was never mentioned to you. But self-supervised learning says go through all of the Wikipedia, go through all of the texts, try to do this, take a word out, and then run your model so that you can get what word was taken out. Hmm. So I don't need to provide any data for that. Just go and play with it yourself. You supervise yourself. You take the word out. You pretend you don't know what it was, and you put it back in. When you get a successful putting these words back in, you mastered English or any other language. Wow! So you just let it run. You you don't yeah. supply the training data anymore. <laughs> That's the second great thing about.
1: Yeah, that's like magic. The
2: science fiction that you read is, is yeah. Computer, it's training itself. It's sitting there in the corner, yeah. Meditating. Well, <laughs> this is this is true now. It's not, crazy. Not exactly like science fiction. It's still manual. But, you know, but getting is, closer. But getting closer. Well, close, yes, there is this idea of general artificial intelligence. It's not there. So we're not going there. And hmm. Google, there's general artificial intelligence. But it's very, very practical, at least this. So, so, so yeah. So what, what it, your question. That's where it is right yeah. now. Now I can go and talk about legal. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about e-discovery and why yeah. it's important. So e-discovery is very simple. Just process all of the documents in thousands of different formats. Give that to me for searches, and I, the lawyer, will read it. Well, the problem with this is that you, the lawyer, you charge $500 an hour for reading uh, stupid emails. So could we improve it somehow? All right. So that's what we're doing. We are parsing the data, parsing all of the texts, and that's a standard task. We have some interesting implementation, but everybody else does it as well. But now we want to apply some AI so that the lawyers will become... Uh, relieved of this tedious work of reading my emails. I'll just give them the emails that are worth reading. Oh and others that are not worth reading. Huh. Now why lawyers? Well in my case I like study. My answer to any question is I'll find a book about this and I'll study that book. That's my answer. And that's how I came to lawyers. They also like study or at least they get paid for that. So they get uh,
1: paid, yeah they get paid to study. Uh, <coughs>
2: And, and so I I, I uh, learned about law. I, I learned, I, I listened to all of the lectures. They were all available. I remember every joke that the guy sent. I wrote to him that, you know, my whole family now knows all of your jokes. And one of them is that this is called practice law to 15-hour, and you write very slowly. <laughs> 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 love it. I love it. And many other jokes. He, he <laughs> reacted. He said, wow, yeah, I have a... Uh, a student somewhere in Texas. So uh, nice, thank you. But, but legal is the probably most challenging ground for AI and most challenging for uh, text processing. Because let us say I'm giving you, that's the best movie, and then I'm going through this, doing what's called sentiment analytics. And uh, this movie, I think this user said good, this user said bad. And I'm making 80% right. That's great. 90%, that's awesome. So I can calculate which movie is good, which movie is not. But lawyers, they have the audacity to think that they never make mistakes. So they are 100% right. Right, right. So will they accept a 90% error? Never. They will only accept the best possible, which is really good enough. So my estimate, 95 to 98%. Wow. That's when they will buy in, before they just won't. So if you can wow. make it there, you can make it everywhere. That 95 98% is pretty much where Google is now at their translations. Hmm. And before, I'm sure you saw, everybody here is older than five. So they probably saw the earlier translations that were pretty good, but not perfect. You would have to either know the language or ask somebody. It wasn't perfect. Now it's very, very good.
1: Yeah, I remember <clears throat> I was learning Mandarin. It was about five years ago, maybe six years ago, and part of you know the Mandarin class was we had to you know talk and write sentences, and, and, and got, it was in Pinyin. It wasn't in like actual Mandarin characters, how, but right? yeah, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. me me jiao you know. So um, <clears throat> it was funny because I'd go to Google Translate, type the thing in, and then they'd say, "Oh." Did we get it right? And which one do you want? And I'm like, right. how the heck am I supposed to know?
2: <laughs> well the secret is you need to learn all and you need to learn writing, but now we're going too far.
1: Yeah, 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 but it was that's the thing. like it got, I think it was correcting itself. Is this right? you know, and and it, then it would it, you know like it's like. It's, like the, it's like the CAPTCHA thing. You know, the CAPTCHA stuff, everyone's like, oh, this is such a pain. Why do I have to do this capture thing? Well, it was training the neural network to recognize those images. So when it says, Is this a stoplight? It's literally comparing that to everyone else that had that thousands of people so that it could train the algorithm. So I always thought
2: that was interesting. And that's still talking supervised learning. Yeah. Except that now they get that supervised learning for free by us helping them.
1: Yeah. The whole world is
2: working for Google. Whole world,
1: exactly. And then (laughs) the same thing with the. You know, scribbled words and, and it's just a silly kind of thing. So
2: But now we can come to the practical <clears throat> advice because mm-hmm. that's what uh, yeah our listeners are waiting for. So here's what you can do with bird today. You can summarize the text and lawyers will probably appreciate it, because while well, instead of reading the long, long text they can do a quick summary, then if it's worth it, then they will go and, and read the, the whole letter. So Mm -hmm. that's something they will buy into. Now, that technology, Microsoft is working on it. It will come up in one of the versions of Word. There will be a short summary. Google is working on it and Hugging Face, and that's the crown jewel of everything. That Hugging Face is a company that uh, was winning all kinds of AI competitions until they decided to out, well, open source all of their code. Today they are the champions. They're the best and they are very fashionable and they're headquartered in New York and Paris. What could be better, right? So so I'll give you links on how you can do this. How can you summarize it in just a few lines of code using all of the hiding face. I'll also show you a post, blog post by the engineer from there uh, who will show you how to do it practically. You go through his tutorial and he shows you how to use Amazon Lambda so that you don't have to run enormous amount of servers but you only pay for what you use. So that's the best of all the worlds. You want a summary here it is it's running in a few milliseconds and it's starting this run right away when you ask that's when you pay not before. So you see every practical detail is figured out. What exactly can you do? So number one, yes you can do a summary. Number two, you can answer questions. Let's say you have a humongous manual on oil company procedures, but you need a quick answer. Where are the assets, those destructive elements used in this process, and what's the danger because of that? So ideally, what you would do is read the whole thing, but who reads the whole thing? What if AI will, you ask it the questions, and it will just show you that place? Well, actually, there are two ways. One is called abstractive summarization, the other one is called, uh, i trying to remember, but one of them shows you the most important part in the text, which answers your question. The other one rephrases answers your question. So Google got the first one. If you Google now, then very often you get the result with the highlighting. In yellow, you have the answer in this document for you. Well, that's Google has it. Well, all other people also need it based on their texts. Mm-hmm. So that's practical. You can ask questions. Uh, but go- lawyers are very hard to convince. <laughs> so so here's the one that will really work. In the legal world, it's important. Is that correspondence between a lawyer and the client or is it just uh, chit-chat? Right. Because client lawyer is privileged. It's not uh, given out to anybody. It's protected. By law, very interesting law, but that's what it is. And so you need to find as many of those protected communications as you can, because these you don't have to give away. You hold them. Right. And there were so many cases how people accidentally gave that out. And uh, there are what is called clawback requirements. You're allowed to get it back. But, well, still, they read it. The other side saw, right? You yeah, they back. know the play. You They've got the playbook. Evidence, but you know. Yeah. So that's very important to find exactly the right ones, but don't overdo it. I I know some companies who were just doing keyword searches and now everything is protected. That's not really true. So false positives are bad. You need to be exactly right. And uh, for that, you need to do what is called entity name recognition. Hmm. You need to find that that is the person, that's the lawyer, like... uh, Paris Hilton is not Paris France. Right. Right. You need to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that's the story. That works. That works for lawyers. You can do these things that are practical because that exactly translates into the precise uh, finding of the protected documents. And that's what you can do today. Wow. Yeah. So e-words are self-supervised learning. You don't have to to provide enormous amount in front of uh, training material. These were the early attempts. Now, it will always have its own terminology. They call it TAR, that stands for Technology Assisted Review. So that God forbid I'm not giving you legal advice (laughs) that we need a license. All right, Right. it's Technology Assisted Review. But between ourselves, we can say that was total junk. Because you train the system on a thousand documents, you then apply it to a million documents. You're off by 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, They invented yeah. something else. We will retrain with every new document. So by the middle of the review, we'll be a little bit better. Yeah, a little bit better, but still 90% at best. Yeah. And the self-supervised learning is the latest and greatest. That's where companies buy each other to create better and better quality. And that's it. That's, that's the level where it becomes practical. That's the revolution. The text revolution that's coming up now. And that's going on for the last two years.
1: Wow! Yeah, because there's a lot of text. I mean, I can imagine there's so.
2: Wow. Most of our communication is is tech. text. Yeah. No, and most what we're doing here, right? We're talking. That's really text. Yeah, because text to speech, you can do these translations. Right. Right. But it's really all meaning of what we're saying. Right. Right.
1: Right. Super interesting. So. So, wow. I mean, this, this has been so, so awesome. And oh, by the I, way, I'm
2: writing a book. Oh, awesome. I'm writing a book. The first part is already there. The second one will go through everything that I told you now. Oh, great. People go through all of the legal, uh, commercial systems, what they do, they try to hide it, but, uh, they do have to advertise as well. So of course, so yeah, I, I listened through those, uh, advertisement and, uh, I describe what to do and then I tell you the technologies that they either used or the better ones that you could use. Great. So that's a practical manual on what you can do. Today.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I th- again, again, you know, th- we sort of went down a little bit more on the.
2: I'm giving myself four to six weeks to finish it.
1: Oh, wow. So we'll definitely let us know when it's done and we'll, we'll oh. definitely share it out. Um, <clears throat> so, what, what advice would you give? The uh, next generation of entrepreneurs coming up. I mean, given your long history, and and I think what's really fascinating is you've seen the literal start and now practical application twenty plus years later of AI. Sometimes these these new technologies take a long time. What what kind of advice would you give the next generation of entrepreneur about like
2: what you've learned? Forget all that I said so far. <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's what i mean i mean uh every entrepreneur should read a book about entrepreneurship and realize the most important thing just because you're a good uh let's say hairdresser doesn't mean that you should open your own salon mm. that's because it's business totally different story funding you might need to pay your people or convince them to work for free for you but what you're doing is business. I know that's obvious and that's generic, but too many people miss this. They think I'm a great baker, so I should open bakery. And that's not the same just because you're the greatest baker, which makes you a great chef and you can do it. Doesn't mean that you are a greatest entrepreneur who can do it in the real world with the supplies. And now think of the hiring and firing and the building and the rent, all of that. Uh, but, but the idea, of course, does come. Do something that you like. I went through both stages. Initially, I wrote some software for oil. And at this time, just being a programmer was good enough. It was not a, I, I did sell my package, but it was not uh, really a company or entrepreneurial thing. Now it's different because you cannot do anything all by yourself. Mm. You will deal with people. You will deal with many loans and uh, All of the practical things. It's exciting because, yes, you cannot do it yourself, but you're like a conductor. Now you can do much more music than what you used to do before. So think of both. Think of you need to learn about money. Learn accounting. You want to count money, you want to become rich, you need to learn how to count. Uh, Think about the business side, and only then I would say go go and do the technical part. There's this tendency of doing uh, the, uh, the, what's called the least acceptable value proposition. Don't code, just do it by hand, see if that works. And that's a big model. And, and advertise first. I know that uh, you, you, Jerry, you think the same way. Don't forget, most startups fail because of the lack of marketing. Yeah. So in my case, in the last one, this Sky AI, I started marketing before we had anything at all then mm-hmm. what will come you give them a product that does more harm than good but do it <laughs> don't perfect it and because mm-hmm. if you perfect it you'll perfect the wrong thing when it comes to real life you have perfected but not that's not what the market wants
1: right no no true i, I, I interviewed this uh, guy dima he uh runs panda uh it's panda coaching it's an ai chat bot that helps you coach. It's like micro coaching. Nice. And he he wrote this article and he's just like, yeah, don't build anything just, and don't hire anyone. Just go sell it first. And I'm like, what does that mean? And so he went through the whole thing and, and he had one of the other practical applications of AI when we were talking about it, which was really cool. He's like, you got to have the wizard of Oz AI. And I'm like, well, what's that? And he's like, okay, you can use this stuff to a certain degree, but you're going to have to have people involved. When you get going, literally, it's like the you know the don't pay don't pay attention to the man behind the you know behind the curtain yeah. because
2: <laughs> I you like don't know. The, term, the wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's nice, but that's exactly right,
1: right, right. And so, but he was like, "Look, you got to like use this stuff and look at it and adjust it." And and he had really he had like three or four really good points about where to use it properly. And same with you. It's like mm-hmm. these are the things that work. The rest of it doesn't work mm-hmm. yet really be very cognizant of that in the in so again, when my
2: product when it was uninstalling also erased the guy's hard drive <laughs> <laughs> oops happy because what you need to do is it should do more harm than good. It, we're there. Okay, we did it. <laughs> a lot of harm yeah now I harm. think it's a better uninstaller. <laughs> awesome.
1: Well Mark appreciate your time and this is just super fascinating and you know your journey and how it all came about and your advice on AI is just really wonderful. And I really appreciate it. It's
2: really lovely to talk about this. I do get excited. And you also know how to conduct this kind of uh, conversation. So it becomes very exciting.
1: Well, thank you. Stay in touch and let us know when the book comes out.
2: Yes, I will. Thank you.
1: Thanks Mark for a awesome, I mean, really awesome interview I mean, this whole machine learning and AI stuff is just so important, and it's just such a thrill to hear it from someone that's been in it for the better part of 20 years. So thank you so much. Now, as promised, here are the actionable insights I learned from Mark during our interview. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should run a business doing it. Mark cautions this, right? Be ready to learn the ropes and acquire skills in other areas if you really want to start a business. And this is really true. Um, You kind of have to know a little bit of everything. And then also what you do need to be able to do is hire people that can do it better than you. So be a little cautious on that, but you know, everything's an evolutionary process. So always be learning. Don't wait until your product is perfect. Mark emphasizes What many of our guests have recommended as well, get it to market, test it out. Then once you've gotten feedback from your customers, just keep building, keep iterating. And yeah, I mean, I think this is an important point to continue to make. A lot of times people want to wait, especially engineering tech founders want to wait till it's perfect and it'll never be perfect. So you need that iteration loop The faster you can iterate and find problems and fix and get product market fit the better you will be, more successful as well. Don't stop learning or trying to do better and teach others. Mark has been around a n- number of years, right? But he's constantly learning and growing while also teaching others. And, you know, this is my philosophy, been this way for a long time, that if you've battled the dragon and came back with the gold, right, the knowledge, that you should teach people. And you may think, well, I'm too young or what do I know? Well, you know something that someone else doesn't know. So I would... Highly encourage everyone to figure out how to teach. This is what we do on the podcast, right? Educate and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. So I hope you'll find some inspiration and do it yourself. So there you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from Mark. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.